0: Jimmy, it's Christmas time. What? Will you buy me something from bluechronaquatics.com?
1: I will buy you something because I get free shipping. Free shipping? How? Uh, how do I get free shipping? I know a guy. His name's Robbie Chan. And what's that what's that free shipping method? Well, I order
0: some stuff and he sends it to me. But 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 uh, what do you is it a promo code? <gasps> you forgot the promo code, did I? It's aquarium guys on bluechronaquatics.com and that's how you're going to send me my favorite beta the alien what? beta. He's got bettas now, doesn't he's he? He's got
1: bettas. I forgot he has bettas. And they're brilliant and, and blue. And, and he's got some of the best shrimp food I've ever bought. i tell you that much. I've been selling... I fig- Did you eat it? I, no, I did not eat it because it looks like egg uh, ramen noodles kind of. Flattened out noodles. I like it. I mean, it's kind of snappy. I kind of but... figured
0: you put it, you know, with your tortilla and salsa. There we go. That sounds good. I'm glad you tested it. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Free shipping. That is a $45 estimate value. Oh,
1: minimum of $45. Right, because
0: it's next day shipping that he does for free. Yeah, it
1: doesn't come over on the Mayflower. It comes over real quick. U.S. Postal Service.
0: Straight from California. IA.
1: To your door.
0: So this Christmas, when you talk to that fish nerd, you have no idea what to get him because, frankly, you don't know the, uh, the hobby or, you know, a little bit and he knows he likes shrimp. Just do that for Christmas. Get him some red and white candy cane shrimp. They're not going to be called candy cane shrimp, but that's what they are because it's Christmas time.
1: It's Christmas time. Call them whatever you want. They also have uh, the old snowflake, right? Oh yeah, Ooh, yeah. They have, get they have snowflake.
0: Get uh, some shrimp. candy cane, some snowflake. You know we ought to talk to Robbie. Make him do a Christmas shrimp package. That's what we should have done. We Maybe we can get that done yet. Still, there's still some time in the month.
1: And we still got to uh, name his new, uh, his new. What's he coming up with? He come up with that poop new... juice. Poop, poop juice. juice. Poop juice. That's what we came up with. He's gonna have biological bacteria in a bottle. That's what you call it. I was trying to think of the proper name. I really hope he locks down poop juice. Poop juice.
0: Well, now we have to talk about the charity. And Ohio Fish Rescue, again, these guys are fantastic. Go to their YouTube channel. You'll get to see exactly what they do on a day-to-day basis. And their whole goal is to take fish that need a bigger home and give it to them. They have over 88,000 gallons in their home, and they are their aquarium fish rescue for people that have made mistakes.
1: It's their forever home. Don't
0: it's- buy a Paku because it's going to you know, be bigger than my smart car and uh, instead uh, support these guys go to the website ohiofishrescue.com donate some money buy a t-shirt and the numbers on the top of the website give big Rich a call and tell him you love him
1: tell him you love him call him up late at night he likes that best late at <laughs> night when, when we you know we're gonna do a, uh, a podcast with those guys face to face someday and I'm pretty sure that we're not going to come back alive I think he's just gonna punch us right in the face and we're gonna be dead we're gonna get fed to the alligator car probably in small pieces yep yeah. and what did, what did rich send us here what do you got in your hand well we got stickers And what's that sticker do, Rob?
0: Well, I hope it's going to go on my computer, because that's what nerds do with stickers.
1: No, no, no. What what did Rich tell you? That that he'll give you the sticker if...
0: No, no, no. Rich has special stickers to verify stores, to make sure that they don't sell Paku so they don't end up in his living room.
1: That's right, and so uh, any pet store that wants one of these stickers, he'll send it out to you, and he just doesn't want you selling Pacoos just because of all the problems that they cause. He will certify your store,
0: Ohio Fish Rescue approved.
1: Correct. Well,
0: I think we should kick the podcast. Kick it. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys Podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and, and Rob Zolson. Solson. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys Podcast, I'm so excited. Christmas is coming, and Jimmy's going to buy me a gift. So what we've agreed to is that uh, for the three Aquarium guys here, we're going to do a secret Santa to each other, right? And how it's going to work is I'm going to buy Adam a gift, Adam's going to buy Jimmy a gift, and Jimmy is going to buy me a gift. And we've agreed that we have to, Jimmy... Agree with this, please. You have to keep it under
1: $5,000. Really? Yeah, because I'm usually the big spender of the bunch, aren't I? Right. Yeah. Actually, keep I, it down, I, right? I, I can keep it under five grand. How much is a lap dance? I'm just wondering. <laughs>
2: I, I don't know.
1: Adam? Adam?
2: Uh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know anymore either yeah. So
1: I'm Rob Zolson. Hey, I'm Jim Colby.
2: And I'm Adam Elishar. You, so, you don't seem so sure of yourself today. He's
0: not. He's, he's not confident. <laughs> he's bashful because he's, he's nervous of one he has to buy you.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: You're very difficult to purchase for, Jimmy.
1: Me? I am really easy. Buy me some concert tickets and some beer, and I'm ready to go.
0: So today we have a special guest. We have the infamous mad aquarist Chris Biggs. How you doing, buddy? Hey, we're doing good, bud. It's nice to you, be here, guys. I appreciate you Jack, coming on. You've been traveling, and you just came from a show. Is that correct? Well, last week I was away for work, but the week before, the weekend
3: prior to that was the OCA, the Ohio Cichlid Association Extravaganza.
0: So Chris has a YouTube channel, and he just put up some uh, videos giving the inside scoop and in what you get to see on those. And I got to say, I'm quite jealous for the stuff I got to uh, see on there.
3: Oh, well, you guys, the way they do it, the OCA, the, the people that set up the what I call fish stores in their fish room, without the doubt, the biggest anywhere I've ever seen. ACA is the American Sick Association Convention. It moves around the country a lot. And uh, some years it's huge too, but some years
0: you don't know. That was pretty incredible. I mean, people were using hotel room after hotel room, filling it up with plants and fish. Any, uh, any details to uh, really get everybody hyped with? There was, I saw someone with a rolling bucket of spider wood. It was crazy. Uh, guys, and I, I mentioned it to my wife. I said, We can go to, a, a, I'd love to bring you to a convention. And
3: I showed her that, and she said, No way in hell. <laughs>
1: wow. And <laughs> just, it's sunk out. You apparently are married to my ex wife, now. know. Huh? So <laughs> it's all over.
0: All right. So, today, what we're going to go over, and we got Chris specially on for, is oddballs. So, you guys have been requesting, especially some of the intermediate beginner aquarists, that uh, hey, you- hey,
1: hey.
3: you're going to talk about oddball fish.
0: Right. So, you brought in. Me, I brought the in you. Oddball. you. You are. Because I'm
3: an oddball. Is that how it's working? Well,
0: I mean, yes, but you have a very diverse knowledge. Like when I when someone say Chris Biggs, that they're they're not just one specialty. You have a labyrinth of knowledge on a lot of different fish. So who better to uh, spitball about oddballs?
3: <laughs> Pretty sure if you ask anybody, say you ever heard of Chris Biggs, they're gonna go, oh,
0: oh. Well, you know, <laughs> Either they're just jealous of your beard. All right.
1: You know, I, I saw that, you know, on, on, uh, on the YouTube, you're, you're the mad Aquarius. You, you seem pretty damn happy. You don't seem mad. <laughs> no, mad. that's
3: because it's, it's all the stupid stuff that I do. And if you've seen any, if you've ever had the, the opportunity to see any of the talks, I don't get often asked to speak at monthly Aquarium Society meetings. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I'm traveling. I'm actually from another country. I'm from Canada. So maybe my ticket is more. But invariably, I get asked to speak at conventions all the time. And then it snowballs because lots of other clubs attend these conventions. And I'm generally brought in as the the keynote or banquet speaker or late-night talk, the humor-based talks and stuff, but still also interjecting a, a fair level of uh,
0: scientific-type knowledge and stuff and making it fun. Well, hopefully you find a great home here. We love, uh, love a good joke cracking. But we're going to go over oddballs today. And again, how we're going to do this is... We're going to be naming a lot of different fish. We're going to do like a round robin style, naming uh, off different species. And we're going to give you a small profile, maybe some of our experiences. But we're not going to give you everything. This is not going to be the deep dive on each type of fish. What I want you to do, encourage you, this is supposed to inspire you to do homework, research on your own, talk to your aquarium clubs, talk to some friends, and see what are these fish all about and possibly could it be right for you. So we're going to dive into that, but we have some cleanup to do, of course. What
1: do we got? So a
0: few reminders. Number one...
1: Keep going. your hands and your arms inside the, the ride. Well, you, last week, what?
0: mentioned about these you know, plant bulbs.
1: Please. I did, I, and they're in order. They're going to arrive Friday.
0: Excellent. So what we're planning on doing is at the end of the month, uh, either before or after New Year's, we're right around that time, we're going to do a drawing for five indiv- individual winners, and they will each win 10... Plant Is it bulbs. assorted
1: plant bulbs? Yeah, I've got. It's going to be a little bit of a surprise, and they're not going to be the uh, crappy Apon Wonder bulbs that you can get for twenty-five for a nickel. They're going to be some nice bulbs. I've got them on order. Uh, we're going to do some talk tomorrow on the uh, on the phone, and we're trying to make sure that we get the uh, the best price so we can give away as many as possible. Maybe you'll even get twelve. You never know. Perfect.
0: So, we're going to have, on the bottom of the website, com. you'll see the giveaway at the bottom of the website. Click it. It'll just ask for your name, some information, and we will do the drawing.
1: Yes. We'll need your social security number, your credit card number, and your address.
0: No, no, no. That's that's for a different form. This is just your name, your number, and address, so we can send it.
1: Oh, this isn't for my other business. Okay. No, no. That's
0: everything in time. That's a credit check. Did you have to approve? You know the whole thing. It's like a cell phone contract. That's the, that's the black web stuff. That yeah. is. We won't talk about. that. We won't, right. talk, about we won't that. talk about that. All right. So the other uh, details is you know find us on Facebook. We have a big Facebook group. Love the uh, posting. People ask questions. And Discord is an application that we're actually talking on right now with Chris. And we have a big community continually asking questions. They crack memes, and some of the memes they put on there have been, uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, mean against you and I, Joe. Yeah,
1: I don't know what, what. Why are people hating on us? I,
0: I don't know, but uh, they're they're saying, you know, jokes about you and your Secret Service stint, and of course they're talking about how much Betty White hates us, and
1: right, and, and Betty White loves us, right, and. You know, won't retur- I think won't best, return a phone call, but she loves us.
0: The best one I saw was the Dave Chappelle meme. You know, you got any more of that prime?
1: <laughs> yeah, he did. looked like he'd been out snorting cocaine and he had the big old white on his face.
0: So if you want to have some fun, talk off topic or on topic and get some fish help, join us in Discord. The link's on our website.
1: And what I really like about Discord is we've got a large community, and I see a lot of the older Aquarists, the more advanced Aquarists helping out the newbies, and that just puts a big smile on my face. So it's good to see.
0: So this last week, we did a quick test stream because we're getting all the equipment to do live streams. So we're on YouTube to do questions live is another way to answering questions. But on our website, aquariumguyspodcast.com, we have email address and phone number. So you can call or email us and we'll do questions live in the show.
1: And we even have the right phone number this time now.
0: We do. It's all fixed. Don't forget to go to our merch store. We just got a bunch of new T-shirts of our actual local artists in our Discord. Decided to uh, get uh, get us some and uh, go check those out. We're just excited for your questions. We love questions, and we're able to answer a bunch of Discord. We're caught up on emails, though. But uh, you said you had an email for us a few weeks ago, Jimmy. How dare you?
1: Yeah, I haven't brought it yet. No? No, I still don't have it. I forget. I'm so- I'm old man. Whoever
0: you are that sent a question, know to send it to our website address. Know don't send it directly to Jimmy if somehow you have contact. I'm
1: going to bring that email. I'm actually going. I'm going to write a, a note on my hand so I remember.
0: You're going to put a string around your finger, a little reminder?
1: No, because the last time I did that, my finger turned black and almost fell off.
0: I have so much to say, but not enough time. So let's get into the oddball segment. So first on my list, right, is? platies. Platies. No, no, no. Glowfish. The first one I'm picking is the freshwater flounder. So people have heard about saltwater flounders, they've eaten flounders, but no one understands that there is a quote-unquote freshwater flounder. Now, it literally looks identical to a... Saltwater uh, flounder. The eye. There's two eyeballs on the side. They lay flat on the ground, but they're actually brackish. They're not technically freshwater. So you get these in, and you'll find them from wholesalers randomly. And you get them in. They're about the size of a quarter. Is generally how you get them in. They're speckled, multicolor when you first get them in, and they work great in freshwater at a small size. As they grow, they're going to need more and more salt to get more and more of that brackish level. Otherwise, they will pass away. So as they grow, certainly add more salt to the tank, or prep a, br- a brackish tank when they get to that size. Check these things out. Once they get to adult level, they'll change color. The eyes will correctly rotate. They're super fun. They'll bury themselves in sand. Certainly check them out, but, again, anything that fits in their mouth, they will eat. At nighttime, if you have smaller fish that somehow get left alone, they'll anything that swims by, they'll pop up and grab it. So do your homework. These get, I've had them... Twelve inches, I think, as big as they, uh, big as I've ever had them. I think they stay a little smaller. I think they stay about ten inches normally. Certainly check them out. They're a fantastic fish and real weird. They're almost like a pleco, and stick to the glass.
1: And they're relatively um, inexpensive. They're not that expensive at all. Really
0: cheap. So if you want to talk to your local fish store, I bet they're very willing to get them in.
1: And do they call? Do they? Is this the one they call tonguefish too? I've never heard them call a tonguefish. I've heard somebody call them a tonguefish. I thought, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: That that uh,
3: might I've might been be a thing. Before.
1: Yeah. So, so f- can you guys get them in, in the States?
3: Yes, we can. Absolutely. Because that species has such extremely wide, it's not one species, but flounders, if you want to call it, just generalize it. They have extremely wide distribution and they are native ones all throughout the, throughout the Southern States uh, going all through, all through Central America, also into South American stuff. They go all along the coast because they're brackish, they're estuary fish. So in Canada, that would be a fish we wouldn't probably normally be able to import.
0: Sad day because they'd
3: look at it Well, you you, want to know it's even funnier it's not an oddball but one fish that is not allowed legal import into the province of manitoba white cloud mountain minnows why well you know you could just imagine the threat that they would pose on our native fish because all of our native fish up here are very delicate we have musky pike rock bass walleye (laughs) you know (laughs) trout these things are very very delicate species and they cannot handle aggression at all. So if something oh, like no. a white cloud got out-established, whoa.
0: Could you imagine like it just taking down two sturgeon? Exactly.
1: <laughs> it'd, it'd just be bedlam. A, a five-foot sturgeon getting taken it'd, down it'd be, by a white cloud. It'd be over. It happens all yeah. the time.
0: So in that case, you guys must not uh, allow things like dojo loaches or anything.
3: Uh, no, I, that I don't know. I don't know about what weather loaches and dojo loaches, but honestly... The, you know, same as you guys, the, the way the, the laws are written are not necessarily written by the most educated people in those fields. Uh, they're they're usually done by impulse. Uh, same reason that you guys have no access to any of the channa species. You know, it makes no sense. That's a massive family of fish with some, yes, there's some that could cause damage. And those, those have been brought in, but they sure as hell have not been brought in by the aquarium trade. Those ones that have caused the problems have been brought in through the the underground markets, through the fish markets, through the Asian communities and stuff, because those are prized fish for consumption. And those ones, Asiatic, Chinensis, all those big ones, that's where they have come through. Those are not aquarium. So you're saying I'm never going to taste it. The Chana, and some of those smaller ones, you know, they're ideal aquarium, And a lot of them are wonderful fish, uh, wonderful fish to work with, wonderful fish to breed. They're colorful. They've got a lot of them have everything that's tough for keeping aquarium fish but just because the you know they catch one snakehead outside of washington all of a sudden it's a bad thing the whole family's banned
0: smooth yeah well b- back to the flounder so when you talk to your local fish store because again you're going to try to ho- source this from somewhere the local fish store if they know anything about it they're fine getting these in because they don't have to set up a separate brackish tank because they get them in small and they'll sell before they get too big certainly they're cheap they'll they'll be able to get them in if they're in the united states Check them out. They're uh, they're a fun species and stick to almost anything. So Adam, what do you got? Um, I've got half beaks.
2: So I like the half beaks. I've tried to get golden half beaks from Jim forever when I had my store, and mm-hmm. I never got any. I got them. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rob's mm-hmm. got them. Mm-hmm. That's how that works.
1: <laughs> it's and... not who you know. It's who he, who Jim likes. Exactly.
2: <laughs> you pissed him off. You know that ex- that explains quite a bit, Jim. Now. Yeah,
1: it also explains a little bit about your your whole octopus. Endeavor. Whoa, we'll, whoa! That's yeah. an another podcast. That's another yes, podcast. No
0: spoilers now. Shame, we, shame. We have
1: we we do have one in the can and, uh, that we'll bring out here. Story time. Sto- it's called Story Time. <laughs> and if you want to hear how stupid Adam is, I mean, we all know it already. Hey, be nice to him. No, I, no, I've known Adam since he was fifteen years old. <laughs> and uh, actually, twelve. What were you, 12? Yeah, you yeah, twelve? Yeah, yeah,
0: twelve. Wait, did he come
1: down your chimney? <laughs> no, I did not come down anybody's chimney. <laughs> Oh, but anyway, so we, we have a new podcast uh, that will be coming out here in the near future, and it's called Story Time, and it, it's about uh, silly stories that have happened to uh, all of us, good, bad, or indifferent, and most of uh, the funny ones happen to Adam because he's funny.
0: When we say funny, harmful. Harmful, painful. H- equally yeah. funny. Yeah. But no, the half beaks is more of a category. There's a lot of different species, uh, and the ones you were mentioning, the gold ones, right, are very small.
2: Yeah, the golden half beaks are what I always tried to grab. They're about maybe an inch and a half, two inches. Um, They like the brackish water from what I've done whenever I could get them. And they're bright, shiny fish. They stay on the top half of the water. They'll eat bloodworms, bugs, Pretty much, they won't eat flake food, but they'll eat, you know, frozen bloodworms, live glassworms they really like, uh, live fruit flies, that type of stuff. Uh, If it sinks, they don't go after it.
0: When you look up these fish, you'll see they're like a pike body style. They're nice, long, uh, slender fish, and they'll have just a needle beak. But again, they're called half beaks because the top jaw is uh, much smaller than the bottom jaw. And their traits for wrestling generally have to do with breeding. They'll actually lock beaks with another male— and wrestle over females.
3: No, in the industry, you only know those one or two species that have been in the trade forever, right? Yeah, there's like but,
0: three species that are common, yeah.
3: Oh, there's a whole new bunch coming because, well, they're they're actually in the trade already, but they're not the ooh and ah. They don't have that sexy appeal. They're not bright-colored and stuff. But Hans-George Evers, uh, formerly the, the head guy that uh, from Amazonas Magazine, you guys have mentioned Amazonas Magazine, foreign podcasts. We certainly have. Uh, from Germany. Uh, Hans-George Evers traveled extensively to the island of Sulawesi I don't know if you know where Sulawesi is, but it's this this little tiny chain of islands that looks like a sea in the middle of absolute nowhere. But in Sulawesi, he's done presentations on this island and the fish from here, and he gets so excited about it. Well, all that's there is these half beaks. There's about three or four species on this chain of islands. They're all brown. They're all completely freshwater, but they're all brown. And then all the super exotic shrimp from those islands, Dunerlarai and all those really weird ones, they look almost like saltwater shrimp, some of them, but they're completely freshwater. The only problem being is none of these fish will ever get established in the trade because they need a pH of 9, 8.5 to 9 with almost no hardness. Now, you guys are pretty established aquarists.
2: That, Try
3: and fathom making that water. Good luck. Wow. Do you live by a <laughs> volcano
0: for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so,
3: but the problem being is almost all these things have been destroyed down in the wild by the introduction of tilapia, so they're pretty much all gone.
0: That that's pretty sad. So these yeah. r- these wrestling half beaks, any of the ones that I've dealt with, have all been live bearers.
3: These are all are they're all live. There's there's only two genera of the uh, half beaks.
0: So the only experience I've had is with the smaller golden variety. They're generally a white body with, you know, maybe a little bit of color on the tail and they have like a golden shimmer to them. They stay, mm-hmm. you know, two inches relatively And they're they're a lot of fun. They stay away from other fish. They're generally peaceful unless again there's males. And it's not one of those deals where you put two males and they're guaranteed to fight. They'll only do it over females for, you know, spawning purposes.
3: What's that one half beak that gets the male gets that almost like that red little thing on his lip? Oh Oh, um, you you know you'd remember it back from the trade. That's that's the only half beak I've ever kept. Is that it? Yeah, it might be it. That's the only one I've ever actually ever kept and bred was that one. But I remember they were they were probably three and a half, maybe 4 inches in size, For at least for the males. The females were smaller.
0: Yeah, those those get a bit bigger. And you said that they, they love live food. They really do. They'll take a cricket down that's bigger than them and start trying to rip pieces off of it. But I did ex- successfully get them on flake food. As long as it stays at the top, they're going to attempt to interact with it. But did they thrive on flake food? Mine did. I bred them on there? flake food.
2: I I think that's, you know, because that fish
3: has been established in the trade for a long time. You know, it's, it knows what the problem with engineered fish foods, and that's what they are, is actually getting the fish to actually realize that it's food, right? The food's there. The food quality's there. The nutrition's there. It's sound, but it's just getting the fish to actually recognize that it's food.
0: right. And I actually did have to do a little bit of training. It's, it wasn't uh, overnight that I did this. That you actually have to take a tweezer with some food, you know, hit the water surface, kind of like you're training a beta to go on pellets that have uh, been wild beta caught. They'll see that uh, you know surface tension wiggle, and it actually just they'll hit it yep. be- just for the f- uh, sake that it's trying to imitate a bug. Once they did that, they'll yep. they'll dither um, learn, meaning another fish. They'll see another fish eat it, then they'll give it a try. So after that, it was all downhill. But I had to at least get it started on flake
3: and the reality is you know several of us are are older school aquarists back in the day and even still today for some of these oddballs is almost all of them are still wild caught right so we all are a lot of people that's a very important to bring up is a lot of us are forced to deal with those type of challenges getting that animal to eat properly first on the best type of food we can offer it that's closest to its natural food and then slowly trying to transition it to something that's a bit easier and readily available
1: absolutely and when you're saying dither fish you mean like a, a fish that already has already eaten this food, correct?
0: Correct. So one one fish will see another fish eating flake and give it a try.
1: Because I've been yep. ha- I've been having some pretty good success. I'm, I've been bringing in some discus from China, and uh, and I, I I bring them in and they don't know what flake food is. But um, I usually keep one discus left from the last batch, and when he's eating flake, within two days are eating flake and they are doing fine. And I've had very good success with with uh, the, these particular type of discus i've also brought in a lot of tony tan discus that's what i have in my own uh aquarium upstairs but um the chinese discus that i've been bringing in have been the best bang for my bucks so where i'm able to make make a few dollars
0: well shame on you for not having live blackworm you know established and ready for them
1: <laughs> i do have live blackworms but but uh, i went to the doctor and i got rid of them so oh thank goodness
0: yeah. all right so jimmy you uh y- you were pretty excited when we got this list together what is your uh, first fish
1: my first fish is the South American leaf fish, and the reason I like the leaf fish so much is dead or alive, it still looks the same.
0: <laughs> I feel like you've gotten burnt in the past getting these shipped in.
1: Yes, I've gotten burnt many times on these. I had a, a, a customer up in War Road, Minnesota, who was bound and determined to have a, every type of leaf fish known to man, you know, brought in and he wanted to keep them all together. And uh, the South American leaf fish is what he had the most uh, success with, I should say. And he would bring them in, and they're they're brown, they look like a leaf, they got a pointed nose, and they're more of a brackish type fish and so you need to keep a little salt with them and stuff. But once they are in the tank, man, they are just wonderful little fish to have, and I think they're just spectacular, and you don't see them anywhere. So a lot
0: of these oddball fish that you hear, they're mainly unknown because people don't want to give brackish a try. Brackish is a really uh, easy thing to maintain. You don't have to have hard uh, mass amount of salinity. It's just adding some salt to the tank. So when you do water changes, simple test, add a little bit more here and there. It's a Very easy thing to do, and there's so many fish that can be brackish that are normally fresh, like mollies. Mollies excel in a brackish environment that are normally kept in fresh water.
1: I just brought in uh, 75 sailfin mollies uh, this evening. Went up to Fargo, went up to Schmelt Airlines. And picked up my fish, and uh, they're sitting in a box in my home, and I still have to go put them away when we get done with this podcast.
0: All right, so we're on a two hour timer, is what you're saying. I don't care. I got all night. Excellent. <laughs> so, one question, though. When you brought the uh, gentleman in war road his fish, say that they didn't come in, did you just prank him and put a bunch of almond leaves in a bag?
1: I did, and he was not that smart. So, yeah, he was, hey, that's only $12. Thanks, Jim.
0: Didn't check it until later. No. Called you
1: back. And I said, well, I must have died. It's your problem. That's, that's my guarantee. It died. It's your problem.
0: See, Adam, it's it's not just you. He hates on a lot of people. Apparently. Shame, shame. All right. So, Chris. Yes, sir. What What's, what's your first fish? First fish. Yes, your first oddball. First first
3: oddball fish. First fish that I've bred that's an oddball fish? No, nope, first on your list you want to tell listeners about. I don't know. Let's talk about piranhas. That seems to be something everybody likes to talk about. Hell yeah. What? Yeah. Weird. Now I've never, I've never kept any of the real, what we'd call the sexy ones. Like uh, somebody had mentioned, I wasn't, Adam mentioned like the, the rhombius types, the blacks and the silvers and the golds and all those ones, those are fish that you can only keep singly for life. You buy them small, they're going to be expensive. you're going to grow up big, they're still going to be expensive and you keep them by themselves forever.
0: So which ones are you I mentioning? like
3: are the, like the red bellies or the caribas and all those ones that are, you know, nice shoaling fish. Uh, it, they're all I breedable. feel like you've
0: had these in your own experience. I've
3: never, like I say, I've never kept any of the elongated the, the gated or uh, the long beak ones. Those ones that have to be kept solely by themselves. My interests are very, very, very black and white. My interests are always in captive maintenance, captive breeding. And then I move on. I figure out that every fish to me is like a puzzle and I figure out the pieces of the puzzle to make it happen. And then I move on because as an aquarist, that's really my, that's what the way I view my goals are. And I can manipulate almost everything that I want to manipulate to make a fish breed. I can manipulate water chemistry. I make my own water using RO water. We can manipulate it as aquarists by heat, so we can make any environment we need to. With the advanced, advanced now, we're using all these different botanicals, like you guys were talking about, the almond leaves. These things, if we can alter the chemistry of the water and adding beneficial products to the water, those leaves, all those different types of leaves offer medicinal type products so for the water, I got besides
0: tannins. Sorry? I got two questions. Number one, we we definitely need to know how you've bred red-bellied piranha because it's a mystery for a lot of people because, number one, they're hard to ship, they're hard to keep, much less breed, so we need to hear that. And number two, since you have had such extensive experience with breeding, we need to know what music do you choose? (laughs) My fish room is always my old fish
3: room. My one now is my old fish room back in the day when I was in my peak was always referred to as the lab. Uh, everything was set up very specifically for doing breeding fish. How romantic! I had a ver- very, very much variety of tank sizes. You know, going from small, very controlled tank sizes, all the way up to uh, 750 or a thousand gallon tanks. And that way, I had my list of fish that I could always work with, and they could move around depending on where I need to go. Using reverse osmosis water gives you that ability to do anything that you want. It's just the only thing you got to bear in mind is reverse osmosis water by itself is extremely volatile it's very violent and what it means by that is it needs a buffer so if you don't put any buffer in that it'll find a way to buffer itself and it'll strip the calcium right out of the anatomy of a fish if you're not careful so shells will dissolve you know so just use a proper buffer stabilize the water and then either adjust it up or down make it a lot
0: i learned that the hard way, way. I do. Go ahead. I I learned that the hard way. I was uh, young and dumb. This was like what eight years ago, nine years ago. Yesterday, I was doing the same, yeah. And I was actually <laughs> this is how I met Jimmy. I was sitting at our local grocery store, and because I didn't I didn't have the test kit, it was still coming in the mail, and I didn't know how perm water was. I was sitting there getting you know jug after five gallon jug of RO water to at least have a base to start with. And uh, Jimmy came in and was like, what are you doing? Because I took up the entire aisle. He couldn't get through. He, was he just had trying to like get 50 bread. gallons
1: of RO water.
0: I was trying to get 75. It yeah. was still filling. It took me that long. Because I had to fill these. They weren't pre-full. And uh, you're like, no, no, don't do that. I'll call you tomorrow. I did it anyway. Sure as hell, it literally dissolved shells in my tank. Okay? I, I did the same thing with a, uh,
3: a tank full of Amano shrimp. Uh, I brought back a large group of, I think it was 100 Amano shrimp from Rachel O'Leary one time. And i added them to a 120 gallon plant tank and within a day every single one of them was dead and i couldn't figure out what it was and it was simply because i never buffered that water chemistry at all
1: i did the same you just have
3: to stabilize it that's all
1: yep i did the same thing i i had uh, a 125 gallon tank i had about 75 breeding adult angelfish and i did a water change with too much ro and the body slime came off of it like snot and as they're, yeah. as they're swimming around, the snot just kind of drug behind. I'm like, what did I just do? It was yeah. horrible. I was so sad. Yeah. The problem with aquarist is, you know, we all think we,
3: we, think we know what we're doing, but once we start using RO water and all these things, we're actually playing real high levels of chemistry. And, uh, we just have to sit back a little bit and respect it. And often, you know, but you know, as bad as it sounds, you know, more than often, some of us have to go through one of those type of mishaps to learn that like you'll never forget it now
1: yeah when i saw robbie at the grocery store and he had all that ro water i flashed <laughs> back to vietnam when all my angel fish were flipping falling apart man it was a sad sad day <laughs> i just thought you
0: were on like you know meth or something being no twitchy. i can't
1: i can't afford meth you know that <laughs> do they sell that in the grocery stores there they yeah do. we do yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> do. it's right next to the cocaine
0: so we got to get back to the questions, though. So we still yeah, need the to piranhas. know the piranha breeding and what what you know song selection you use for breeding.
3: Well, uh, music's been my entire life. I started playing uh, drums when I was three. I started touring when I was twelve. I did it professionally for a number of years and I've toured a lot of places and stuff like that all over the world and stuff. And I got out of it because uh, I'm very, very compulsive and uh, I joke about the meth and all that sort of stuff with you guys there because I knew some good friends and stuff that lived in those kind of areas and I knew that that's a a big problem that's prevalent to you guys. And I'm not segueing into something that I was one of those type of people, but I have the very type of, pulse of personality that I'm either all in or not. And uh, after going to a pile of funerals in my 16th or 17th year, I says, no, I don't want anybody a part of this. And now you keep fish. And I kind of, I stepped out. So I got into fish because my fish has always been around my life and I always want to find, but I have to have that science background. And that's where the breeding came in really, really quick and easy. My first little breeding of first fish when I was a little kid just cemented that quick, but for piranhas, piranhas, like if you've ever bred a convict cichlid, okay you can you can breed piranhas they breed very very much like cichlids really the problem being is people have people don't understand people buy three piranha and then they set them up in their 25 gallon tank and then they as they get bigger they buy a 40 gallon tank you know and they slowly move them that way if you really want to be successful with piranhas buy a group of like eight or ten like for me for breeding fish if like if i go back in the years when i was in my infancy and i was starting to breed fish A bag of six at an auction or at a pet store, no problem. But as the species get more obscure, harder to find, eight to 12 is now my minimum. And for piranhas, the bigger the number, the better, because you're going to lose some. As they go through, you know how you keep a big group of cichlids, they beat each other down to cement that pair? Puberty. Sick, yeah. Uh, Piranhas are exactly the same way. And once you've cemented a pair, they will stay as a pair pretty much for life, as long as they're well fed. And the problem being is, you know, back in the day, people always just used feeder fish and stuff, or the, you know, even worse side is that they would basically try, try to convert them onto things like strips of beef art. That is the most wrong type of product. Just a good quality, prill, smelts, fish, fish-based proof, meat-based that these fish would naturally see, and just keep them good and healthy. And once they, the, the other factors, they have to be mature. Like you're looking at a prana posture, you're looking at well over a year before it's going to be mature. And it's got to be, you know, a good five inch, six inches in size before it's going to be fully sexually mature. And then they'll show you it. They actually, they'll, the male will start courting the female. It's exactly the same for all large kerosene, be it the silver dollars. All the different matinus species, and I'm sure Pacu would probably be the same. If we ever any of us ever had a tank big enough, maybe Big Rich could be the first to be successful. Because God knows everybody wants to have some freshly tank-raised Pacu. Oh some. man,
1: do we ever! <laughs> wow, that that that'd get his hair up in a hackle.
0: Three
3: ninety-nine yeah. apiece, baby. <laughs> yep. But uh, the Pranos, will start to the male will start courting the female, and even if they're in a school in a hundred eighty-gallon tank, the male will start courting whatever female he wants. They're not like uh, other carases where they just kind of come together and gush. And stuff just goes everywhere, like, you know, like some of the is like barbs and stuff and koi. These guys actually form a pair bond, and then the male will start courting her and bring her over to an area in the tank, and he'll build a nest. He'll, he'll take detritus and leaves and litter that are in the tank and make kind of a nest for her. It's just to, I don't think the nest actually shows... Any benefit to it other than it's just an isolated kind of an area? There's no visual barriers like he has to be behind a wall of driftwood or rocks. It's just it just becomes this visual thing that they create this kind of a nest and then they'll spawn and uh, the male and female lay non adhesive kind of gelatinous kind of eggs and then they will they will take care of them. They will watch the eggs, which is very uncharacteristic for a kerosene. Normally they don't. Silver dollars they come together in the tank. The courtship is identical. They don't build a nest. But they'll come together and uh, they'll spawn, and they'll release milt and spur uh, milt and eggs at the same time. And if you have a in my seven fifty when I was working with some of the silver dollars, when you get like dinner plate size silver dollars spawn in a big tank like that, it's really adult looking and it's gross. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you say so,
3: wow. So
2: I have a quick question here. Did you, for the piranhas, did you try to have baby piranhas and baby silver dollars at the same time? Because I know in the wild, the baby piranhas will, like, take little bits out of, like, silver dollars or pakus that, to help, like, release aggression because they'll, like, all pretty much go at the same time. Or did yeah. you, how did you do, diffuse the aggression in the babies?
3: It's very challenging. Uh, uh, I, 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 I'd be lying if I'm saying... Anybody that I know that's ever bred piranhas, and I, I could, you know, I probably know twenty people that've bred certain species of piranhas. Generally, the same sort of list, because nobody's working trying to breed some of those insane, solitary, mean ones. <laughs> because I don't know anybody that is. But uh, any of those ones that are in that uh, red, uh, red breast or. Uh, the Caribe types, those ones there, they're all the same, uh, but they're all extremely predatory on each other. And same as cichlids. Like when you raise a batch of cichlid fry, it doesn't matter if it's a big dovi or if it's a convent, you will notice that if you're not diluting and keeping your water chemistry on par all the time, you will notice that certain ones will grow faster than others, right? Well, yes. the bigger ones are always gonna be your dominant males. So if you want to greatly reduce all of those type of factors, Biggest factor that I think that is ignored by most people that just don't get it when they start evolving and trying to breed other things is water. And the one thing that I always had a massive advantage on was that my entire fish room was fully automated and water changes were automatic all the time. Now you and all th- all four of us could do water changes of the same rate of the same volume of tank. One would do it once a week, one would do it once a month, one would do it every 2 weeks. I might I'm doing it every single day, but a much smaller amount. So none of those hormones or that chemistry builds up. Do you get what I'm getting at? Yes. So each those dominant ones that are growing up, the males are releasing hormones into the water. So it's chemistry and they're releasing these products into the water that inhibits the growth of the other ones. So if you can keep that water parameters, because in the wild, you wouldn't see that. You catch almost any fish in the wild, you go and catch a cloud of fry, they're almost all going to be the same size. But in captivity, you get these irregular growth patterns all the time.
0: That's fascinating. And that's water
3: chemistry, because they don't deal with that in the wild. The water water's constantly flowing in the wild. But we don't do that in the aquarium, right?
0: Yeah. Secrets have the fish been unlocked farms today. In Florida,
3: they do the same thing. Like a lot of the big fish farms that are really southern Florida, there's no mud. There's no ground. So you don't go down there and think... There's all these beautiful mud ponds and stuff. No, no. It's crushed coral rock. And they dig a, they etch it into the ground and the water runs twenty four seven. And where does the extra water go? It just filters through the bedrock and it's pumped right back up again. And you don't get that irregular growth in all those cichlids that are raised at all those South Florida farms. Right. You just don't see it. And that's what it is. It's a factor of, of water chemistry.
0: Well, to continue yeah. on the Prana subject. So Adam, we just talked about red belly piranha. What are the other two obscure piranha?
2: So I've actually had both black and gold in my store. I had special orders for them, and they were a pain in the ass to get because uh, they had to come straight from Peru, or supposedly from Peru. At least that's what the the list said, because I had to um, translate it. Uh, the golds that I had come in, they were bagged individually, and they didn't stay in the store very long. Um, they were all special ordered, but I did keep one in the store, and it was in a 10 gallon tank by itself and anything come near the glass boom it just tried to kill everything that it was near the gold one and the black ones too and um they were in like the darkest tranquilizer <laughs> water that you could what's that what's that tranquilizer like red yeah i can't
3: think of it i just call it trank i know what you're talking
2: about yeah they were in the darkest colored red water that you could get for the trank <laughs> and they still, like this thing was bagged like five or six times and it still ripped through three of the bags. Have you never brought in a big one though? No, I never could uh, get them. Oh,
3: so the local wholesaler here is a good friend of mine. He brought them in regularly. He'd get in this one called, I remember the last one, called a diamond. I don't know. Oh, I've seen
2: those. I don't know the common
3: names. of. It. it had blood red eyes and the thing was just like pressed metal and whatever. Yep. It was stunning. But it came inside, inside the fish bag was like a gas can like like a camping <laughs> gas can with all these holes punched in it and it was like this perforated gas can that had this hole cut out of it and the fish was thrown in that inside a bag and there was and then it was in a wooden genius crank. and i'm like what, is, what are you sending here? But he always saves those type of things when he brings those random weird ones and he saves them. He says, oh, I got a treat for you. Come see what I got.
0: If you can <laughs> <Because> find <laughs> a picture of that, that would be amazing to put on social media.
3: Yeah. Well, that's, These- he had the same thing when he brought in the electric eels. He saved those specifically for me because he thought it would be fun.
1: Yeah, I've seen some of those come in, and it's like a ice cream pail with a lid on it, with a bunch of slots in it, and it's floating around yeah. in the bag. In a bag, <laughs> right? And it's genius because I can't tell you how many times I have taken, put a piranha in a bag, and then picked it up off the floor 30 seconds later because it went right through the you know three layers of bag and newspaper. Yeah,
0: well, that's how they ship I mean- the red bellies. They take a big box, a foam cooler, they line the cooler in newspaper, then they put four thick, hefty bags. And then dump shredded newspaper in hopes that they won't puncture three of the four bags.
1: Yeah, when we when there was a guy down um, in uh, southern United States, I used to buy him from, and he would take a garbage bag and and cut it like confetti and throw it in the tanks or actually in the bag with the oxygen in the fish. So the fish would have somewhere to hide. And uh, still yeah. those God dang things, you still, you'd buy 50 of them or a hundred of them. And 75, eyes. 75 had one, yeah, 75 had one eye and, and uh, 50 had no eyes. And, and there was two fat ones and they're happy, you know? Yeah. Uh,
3: and wild caught piranhas, like even just your common red belly, the wild caught ones versus anything you're going to get from the farms in Asia that are captive bred. We're talking two entirely vastly different fish. It's like a pet store Oscar versus a wild Oscar.
2: Wait, there's a big difference? <laughs> oh, huge. Oh, yeah. Huge.
3: <laughs> it's, a, a pet store Oscar is like owning a basset hound, and a wild Oscar is like owning a wolf.
2: Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah. Right now, I can buy... I can purchase wild Oscars that are caught. They're, they're paying people money to go out and actually physically fish for Oscars out... Uh, in Florida? In Florida. And yeah. <laughs> it looks like somebody first... You know, took them out of the wild and then drove a truck over them and then punched them down the road and then drug them behind a the car. They are so beat up and so scarred and so ugly looking. So Walmart Oscars is what you're saying. <laughs> wow. There we go again.
0: <laughs> hey, they're no longer doing fish.
3: Okay, we can crap
1: yeah. on their parade. All right. But yeah, the- um, But Jeff,
3: have you, none of you guys ever had experience with actual wild Oscars?
1: Yeah, just the ones that I've gotten out of Florida that are just I have once. Ugly.
0: Oh. I have one.
3: Wild Oscars are, they're very waspy. They're cryptic. They hang, they hang up in the shallows near the leaf litter and they, 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 they kind of dart out at stuff versus a pet store Oscar or, 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 you know, the Oscars that are in the trade, they're like owning a dumb puppy. You know, they just sit there and stare at you until you feed them and they train you to feed them all the time. Yeah. But uh, the wild ones are not like that at all. The wild ones, if you look at, go back in the days and start looking at the literature, you look at what the actual wild Oscars patterning look like. It's all broken up like camouflage for them to hide in amongst the leaf litter and all the trees on the riverbank. And that's where they find their food. Because an Oscar only gets to be about a foot. So in the wild, it's probably only going to get to be about eight inches to 10 inches in the, in the wild. But if you know what the Amazon, the Amazon is like a giant channel. And all the giant pilmadelid cats, all your predatory cats, they own the Amazon. So every other fish that's from South America hugs the walls. So to speak, keep your, your butt- little epistos. They're in the leaf litter buried under a leaf for their entire existence and all the stuff. And then they get a little bit bigger, but that's where an Oscar lives. He, he lives just, you know, in a foot foot or two of water in amongst all that leaf litter and in amongst all those submerged trees. So he could feed on all those little fish. Cause if he went out in the open water, the Oscar's food
1: huh. and, it's, and it's pretty shallow, right? where they're at what well, the they, amazon yeah no, the i mean where the Oscars are.
3: are yeah it might only be three four feet six feet whatever they'll i'm sure they have a zone that they kind of work within but you know as well as i do all the catfish they come out predominantly at night and that's when they come out and hide so all these you know these trees and branches and all that stuff that we put into our tank to make them look like oh i'm making the amazon well that's also the shelter that these things need if not every single fish in the amazon would be gone the catfish <laughs> would just eat them
1: yeah well, gobble gobble you know, a yeah.
3: red-tailed cat gets to be six feet. A prairie gets to be nine feet. You know, these things can take down a fair bit of fish every night if they want.
1: It's taller than you, Jimmy. Yeah, everybody's taller than me. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I, my, one of my first uh, memories here of, of, I was down at a Florida fish farm, I think I actually was at 5D, if I remember correctly, quite a few years ago, and I asked them about um, if they raised their own Oscars, because I had somebody who wanted, at that time, long fin Oscars were just becoming a thing. Boo. Hey, I second the boom. I'm just telling you a story. And so I said, hey, you guys don't have any long fin Oscars. I got a customer looking for them. And they said, no, but do you want to see where we breed the Oscars? And so they took me, and they had an entire greenhouse. The entire thing is probably 75 foot long and maybe 30 foot wide. And there was a walkway down the middle. And what they had done is they took um, each half of the uh, greenhouse, and they had lined it with a pond liner and brought the water up to a depth of about two foot. And what they did is they took cement blocks and made basically little bedrooms for these Oscars. So as you walked down the walkway, there'd be a pair of Oscars inside these cement blocks and the male would be standing in the doorway protecting the eggs. And so they would go by and check for eggs every day and they'd grab the eggs on a piece of slate and because the, uh, the Oscars were goddamn possessive of their eggs the slate was probably about the size of a, a football but they actually had a wire on it that stuck out of the water so you could grab the wire and not put your hands in the water to grab the slate but they probably had I want to guess probably 75 to 100 pair of Oscars in there, and they were yes. just pulling eggs left and right, and I was just totally amazed about the amount of Oscar eggs that they were going through. And I said, "There's no way you guys can sell that many." And they just laughed. Said, "Yeah, you 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 wouldn't think so?" That's yeah. It's one of the top twenty-five aquarium fish in North America.
3: Now, Five D has not bred that fish for you're, you're talking probably at least over a decade. That yeah, map, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Five yeah. D has not been breeding that fish actively for a long time. There's one guy. Honestly, there's honestly one guy in, in Florida that controls the availability of Oscars for all of North America trade. Okay. His name is Patrick. He is, an, um, he is, I call him like the mad scientist. This guy is amazing at what he does. I've been to his facility a few times. I've never been able to be there when he's in actively raising, uh, which is the one thing I definitely want to do. But, uh, you know, to go from Canada to Florida, it's not just a weekend trip, you know. But uh, Shout Patrick, out to Patrick controls everything. And everybody has to kind of walk off, you know, treat him really, really well, because that's all he really does. But what he does is he has he has a small farm for a Florida size. He has a very, very small farm. But what he does is he breeds them, like you saw, in, in smaller controlled conditions. He strips them. And then in his hatchery, in, his hatchery is literally the size of a double car garage. And they're only like 10 or 20 gallon tanks from memory. But his entire hatchery is run on liquid oxygen. It is insane to see it. He will have, you know, a thousand, like an entire hatch in a 10-gallon tank where it looks like water was added with a pet or a a (laughs) a turkey baster or something. There's just so many fish in that tank. But he pumps this liquid oxygen through the whole thing, and he provides almost 90% of the Oscars for the trade.
1: That's incredible. Seagrest all those people.
3: It's all coming from this one guy. It's insane. Yeah, I I didn't know that.
1: What is liquid oxygen? I'd never heard of it before until seeing him. I've never heard of this liquid oxygen or whatever you're, you're saying. What is that about? Well, his,
3: his, I, I, I don't know how to explain it even further. Like I saw his place and he's the one on, on my YouTube list. I have a series called the Aquatic Masters Series. And it's basically wherever I travel, I want to be able to go and sit down with somebody that has something to offer that's different or unique. And Patrick has been on my, in my top 10 list for, since I started. And I just haven't been able to make it back to actually sit him down and go through it. He's, he's somewhat temperamental. He likes to do different stuff because he's a super passionate aquarist. And he started working with Tigrinus catfish. And he started Ooh. working with zebra plecos. And he started breeding a whole bunch of different weird L numbers just because he could and other people couldn't. I, don't I think like that's guy. on the Oh, he's the guy. I call him. There's two guys down there. There's him and there's Andreas. I, Andreas is another one you really want to pick the brain on. Andreas owns a BioAquatica. This is the guy that breeds all the clown loaches for the trade. He breeds different Cynodontus catfish. He's the one that anybody in Florida is working wants. That if the Florida fish aquaculture says, we want to introduce a new fish this quarter, and they can't figure out what it is or can't crack it, they give it to Andreas. He's the one that's cracked so many fish for the industry, far and above anybody else in North America. I just want to point out he's a displaced Canadian. There you go. There you
0: go. It's, hey, the, it's the maple
2: syrup. That's what it is.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So before- what?
2: Go ahead, oh. Adam. Well, I was just remember that one fish that we used to get in, um, where the females and the males, the guy would just what the heck were they rots? And the male, the guy would just he wouldn't let a single female out. All we'd get was the males. Oh, well, the I think they're at that time. I think they're called dace barbs. Is that no, what you're
3: you're probably talking about what what like you're talking late eighties.
2: No, in the um about mid nineties, mid nineties. I'm, I'm wondering if it's
3: uh, melanotania precox because Heiko Blair was the one described. Uh, was the one that discovered the praycox dwarf rainbow. And they were distributed only through Equil Water Resources, which now is Seagrist. And they actually sent out a full page flyer of the beautiful neon blue with red fins. But no but no pet store for the first year or two ever got a female. They always got these full colored males and it was stunning.
2: Is that the one you're thinking of? No, the um they were a barbite th- or not a barbish an Indian shark. Well I'm gonna they were the ones with the gray with the red and the black and white fins. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're your, uh, the, the
3: denosomite barb.
2: Yep, there Arbedo you go. Barb, yeah. yeah. Well, those I, I, don't were even,
3: ones. I don't even know how you sex boys and girls on that one. And that's a plagic species, so that's not a species that's going to be bred readily in captivity without the hormone induction.
0: Well, I'm going to pause you guys. We're going to get back on track. We have okay. done a, a power tangent here. We're about uh, you know over 50 minutes in, just, uh, just for sake of time. Let's change <laughs> Talk to this up. One fish. Well, I really want to get, because you have a crazy story that you told us before the podcast that we really want to get to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to shotgun some names. And again, this podcast was intended to go over oddballs. So we're not giving you the full scoop. We're giving you some names. We really encourage you to do some research, see the pros and cons. And they're oddballs for a reason. So find that reason to see if they have a specialty need, specialty food or environment. But certainly check them out, do your homework and see what you can find. So what I'll do is I'll go through um, a few details of my list. And we'll just finish up the list, and then finish up with uh, Chris, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about some uh, heart attack, maybe? Huh? Wow! All right, he's in. He laughed.
1: There Amazing we go. He's laughing. I, you know, a lot of these fish we were talking about are it's not are, dead. Are, are uh, brackish fish, and I, I encourage people to start up a brackish tank because a lot of these cool fish that we're talking about tonight are brackish. Right. So and they're
0: fun. They're fun. So next few on my list, I'm going to try to shotgun these out, is the red barracuda. So most people associate barracuda of either the car, if you're Jimmy, or the saltwater fish that people actually uh, try to catch for sport. They get quite large. They you know show aggressive to shiny objects. But there is a freshwater variety that has a hue of red to it, and they stay qu- uh, quite small. They'll grow 8, 10 inches. Certainly check these out. They need special requirements. Again, most of the stuff in the oddball list, you don't see them because they have special requirements. These are very skittish, and you have to associate them with a normal pike you'd fish with, right? They like to be undercover and some weeds. And anything that swims by, they'll go out and strike and try to catch, that's the same type of fish. So if you have an open area aquarium, they're going to act skittish when you walk by the tank. They're going to dart away and disappear. They're going to get easily stressed out. So keep the light a little dimmer. And make sure you have nice tall planted aquarium so they can literally hang in the leaves and wait for some uh, creature to to go by. These are normally uh, kept on live food just because any type of barracuda needs to have that striking behavior. It's one of the few fish that I have yet to see anybody successfully completely convert over to pellets. And even if you do do pellets, you should still find some way to give it some sort of uh, a live food on top of it. Because they still need, just for that uh, behavior, for their own health, they need to be able to strike something. And just from their nature being a barracuda, don't have smaller fish with it. <laughs> they will disappear or get hit. You, you never know. But check them out. They're they're fun. The ones I've gotten are pretty hardy as long as you can keep the light dim, tall planted tank. Uh, next one on my list is the African Butterfly uh, Fish. So the African butterfly fish looks like, I don't know how to explain it, I've had these many times, and if you have a happy, healthy African butterfly fish, they're a cork at the top of your water, completely motionless. If they're at the bottom of the tank swimming at all, you're not doing it right. They're stressed out, something's not right in the parameters, they're sick. If they're happy, they will simply float in the corner of your tank and wait for something to hit the surface. They look. They're patterned, very camouflage-like, they have a very unique leaf-like fins and spines that hang from them. They're just part of their normal fins and they're a very fun, can be a larger, larger fish for your freshwater aquarium that will leave most everything completely alone. They're there to look for live prey or anything that hits the surface. So. I've had luck with these because, again, anything that hits the surface long, you're dropping or making a motion. Using small floating pellets work really well with these as long as you're making a bit of a splash and training them on it. They're fun, but if you expect that you're going to sit there and enjoy and look at that fish, you got another thing coming. They're going to be a cork if you're doing it correctly. My wife thought for the longest time that it's dead, and nope, it just keeps getting fatter and happier and just... Doesn't move, kind of like me, kind of like you. If you were a fish, you'd be you know bright pink and up on the top. But this is at least you know camouflaged. Wow, that hurt. <laughs> you people suck. I'm sorry, Santa. <laughs> All right, next on my list is mudskippers. So if you've never experienced a mudskipper, go on YouTube, type in mudskipper for National Geographic, and they have this like sweet naked you know, pygmies Saturday morning expose <laughs> talking about the wild mudskipper and how these fish walk on land. It is really cool. Um, they're in their natural habitat. They stay on the shoreline, and again, burrow in sand or mud. And they literally take their fins. They collapse their gills, so they actually hold water in their gills, and they can for up to like 10 minutes at a time walk on the beach in the mud and reel around. They c- come in normally brown color, but they have generally blue patterns depending on what type of mudskipper you get. If you're getting like African mudskippers, they have a very specialized uh, water need they have to have a beach so if you're going to try to put this in say a 55 gallon tank literally you have to fill half of it with sand and half the tank is at uh, down in the water the rest and have to literally go up onto shore you can leave a you know a small pool on top but they still have to be able to crawl out of the water for proper behavior what do they eat i've had them eat pellets i've had them eat crickets i uh I haven't had them long term. I've had them short term, and people buy them and have them e- ecosystems. I've given them recommendations, but they do do pellets. But again, it's it's that transfer, like we talked about before, crickets
1: to pellets. I just don't want them crawling out of the tank and sucking on my face when I'm sleeping.
0: They're pretty uh, weird looking. They have the like these dopey faces and eyes that stick out of their sockets. It's real, uh, real cool. Certainly check them out. It's the stuff that keeps uh, Adam awake. You know, he thinks it's a lizard and gets excited. No,
2: I know nothing about mudskippers.
0: Next on my list is marbled handstanders, and to be honest, I have to ask you guys more questions about these because I have not had these except for one variety. There's a lot of different handstander varieties, and they've been talked about as being aggressive. So it's just it, headstanders, not handstanders. Yeah. yeah, they're headstanders. Head well, see, that's why I, I've only referred them as handstanders, and I didn't even get that. No, headstanders. Gotcha. So clearly, even using the. YouTube links as uh, as reference. but Don't believe everything you read on YouTube. The marble up. variety is the yeah. only one I've seen, and I know that these are in river systems, and they have to be kept with a lot of motion in the water. It, so have any of you guys tried these? Because I'm, uh, I- I'm not that knowledgeable on these, quite frankly.
3: I've never kept that one, but I've kept uh, a, a similar species, like Anostomus Anostomus, which is a much more elongate, has an upturned mouth. And has uh, it's bright yellow and black stripes. The whole length of the body gets to be about six inches. And all the fins are bright red. But uh, it's, a, it's a scale eater. So it sits there just ripping scales off every other fish in the tank.
1: I've got one, one of those in my house. Really?
3: Uh, yeah, th- there's a reason all those headstanders and leperinus and all those things, they're really beautiful and cute when you see them in the pet store when they're small. But almost all of them get up to these massive, socially aggressive species. And none of them are... Have been really bred in captivity because I believe most of them are actually uh pelagic. They have to move, they have to migrate to be able to breed. So no none of them were bred in captivity. And frankly, I don't think anyone's gonna divert a lot of attention to trying to breed them in captivity because there's just no market for them.
2: I never brought them into my store because they just didn't sell. People they just they just stay there.
1: I've got an albino. I got an albino check channel catfish that I got as a, a, a rescue that Rob and I got. And I put him in. He's probably 10, 12 inches. I put him in with a 24-inch koi. That's your scale ripper? And he, yeah, he ripped off all the scales off my flipping koi, the big meanie, and killed my koi. No no, no, no headstanders for you then? No. All right.
0: So again, know that these warnings are out there. The ones that I had for the marble didn't seem that aggressive, but again, they didn't get to full size either. But these fish literally, at all times minimum... Sit at a forty-five degree angle, like they're pointing down. They go from forty-five to a ninety, and that's essentially where they sit in the tank. They're high river systems, so they love the the current in the water. If you're going to have them, make sure you have essentially jet propulsion in the tank to uh, keep the cycle f- uh, going for them.
3: So they're always at that position. It's almost like they're standing on their their heads. Head. Head. On their hands. That's
0: it. We're gonna we're gonna give a new you know like a terrible pet local pet store name a handstander now. Hand Thanks. Thank you internet. Thank you internet. <laughs> let's
1: let's talk about hatchet fish,
2: huh? Yeah, hatch. You know why? Because they look like hatchets. They're also marbled. Yeah. <laughs> there's silver ones also. Yeah. All right, my Well, last... there's
3: that's a big family of fish. All those triporthius, the
0: elongated hatchets.
1: Love they're them.
3: Awesome fish. right? Love
1: those things. So my... I love them. Yeah. And they jump like a son of a gun.
0: My last fish. I spoke about in one of the first episodes we had in the podcast, and that's the anableps anableps, or commonly known as four eyes, and I know quite a bit about these. These get decent size, but they're super fun there. They extensively live at the surface, and they have two pupils in their eyes, one set that's looking down, the other set that's looking above the water. They essentially look, I can describe them as like a dolphin or frogfish. They get, the ones I had were about 10 inches, and they are live bearers, but they have really weird breeding habits. You have to have a gonopodium either to the right or left, and the females' uh, privates have to be to the right or left. So if you have a right-handed gonopodium, you have to have a left-sided female so they can breed correctly. Now, Jimmy's been shaking his head and uh, really not believing this, but Chris, you got to back me up on this one. You've had these, right? Well,
3: yeah. What's even more important is you got to think, if, if, if none of these guys besides yourself and myself know what this fish looks like, you got to think it from an evolutionary standpoint somebody really doesn't like this fish God, hates it's, it's, fish. it's not attractive at all it's gray it's chubby it's got a stretched out body and as you say it's got these bisected eyes so they can look independently above and below and not only that let's make it hard for it to mate it's like the fat guy at the bar on Saturday night. Like you know, like I'm he's gotta wait for the last pickings. You know, on a, on a Tuesday terrible.
1: night, does your work? wang yeah. curve to the left? Oh, no, I'm not into that. Yeah, everybody wang you know, chung you know, tonight.
3: He can't go on Saturday because that's when the new comics come out, right? So, oh lord. So the, somebody has punished this fish for no reason whatsoever.
1: God hates this fish. Oh, they
3: really
0: are fun, though. They they jump uh, up and down in the tank. They they interact and socialize and play. And when they're sitting on the surface of the water and their eyes stick up, they're adorable. They're uh, they're so ugly they're adorable. I love the hell out of these fish, and I got a pretty penny for them. I'd still have them today. And and and, I just, and they're
3: a true estuary fish though, so they do need very very specific water chemistry
1: and, and yes. I, I want to ask rob because i know i know the answer to this so you had a huge tank for this thing and how much did you spend for this tank at walmart
0: so i recommend on these tanks because think well, of the fish what, what kind of
1: tank do you have Rob?
0: i'll get to it the fish needs surface area they don't need depth a lot of depth they just need surface area, so you go to Walmart, right? You take a ten dollar bill out of your pocket in the summertime, and you go buy yourself a plastic kiddie pool. Oh, that's like forty
3: dollars Canadian, just so you know. Just, just yeah, <laughs>
0: that's like the the transfer rate seven hundred dollars <laughs> European, yeah, right, something like that. And it's just deep enough, and it has a crazy amount of surface area to keep a nice, you know, fam- pot of four, pot of six in there with plenty enough room. Really, a, a fun fish, but you know you can't have them in a normal tank. There's not enough surface area. You have to have something like a kiddie pool or a he, pond.
1: He invites me over. He's all excited about these things. He, you got to see him. You got to see him, Jimmy. You got to see him. So I go on over, and there's a freaking pink pool in the middle of his living room with these <laughs> these cockroach of fishes. I just wanted to stomp on them because they're staring at me. They're literally, well, you the, move and they'll stare the at you. The fish has a
3: lot of problems in the trade because it's it's not a popular fish. One, it's it's visually appealing in the fact that it's very different. But I think a, the average aquarist will lose that appeal quickly because they can't keep a lot of stuff with this thing. you got to think about it. It's a soft-bodied, it's not scaleless, but it's a soft body doughy fish floating at the surface. It's any a, fish at all. It. It's a silver turd. Like, it's a and, you turd. It's
0: a silver turd with they eyes. They just
3: can't handle any aggression. Where this fish lives... Is protected by these mangroves and these in these little estuaries where it doesn't have any competition from anything, so it lives out of life. So if you're willing to set up a kiddie pool or, like as you say, a very big tank with big surface area and and work with them and breed them, that's good for you because that fish should be in the trade. But it's just it's never going to ever have mass appeal. It's ever. wonderful when you see it at a public aquarium.
0: They're impossible yeah. to find, and when you do find them, they're going to cost a bit. But if you do. Yep. They're so much fun to breed because they will birth live pups. And the pups are a couple inches when they come out. They're, they're big. Yeah. They're big guys.
1: So if you find a male with a left one and a female with a right one, and you could interconnect these things, then right. you'll, you'll have pups.
0: You'll have pups. Well, that's
3: that's the challenge. And it's only a couple. Like, like we talked about the prawn, you can't just go to the pet store and buy, okay, I'll take this male that's hanging to the left.
2: The female is going to receive to the right.
3: You can't do that because that's not natural selection. He might not like that one. So you got to buy like six, eight, 10, 12, whatever, and
0: hope that, you know, they kind of you get one pair, maybe. Yeah, you were lucky. Did yours breed for you? They did. They did uh, they'd breed, but then I had to sell them uh, pretty quickly. But again, you're not going to get a, a lot of babies out of them. They're huge. You're going to get at most four. You're, you're not yes. going to get a lot out of that fish. Yeah,
3: It's not a good retirement plan is what you're saying. No, it's not an investment
0: <laughs> yeah. fish. It's just a fun, weird, they brood and keep their pups close. It's a weird family system, and they'll stare at you forever. Yeah, and if you want your friends
2: yeah.
1: to make fun of you, get some.
0: Get some. All right, what are the last you have on your
2: list, Adam? Um well the only one that i really wanted to talk about was elephant nose these are one of my favorite fish um they are basically i don't know if you would want to call them blind but they use an electrical organ to sense around them they are difficult and they only literally eat like live blackworms frozen bloodworms that type of stuff i have not gotten them to eat anything else um but one thing I found out is they like toys, so you have to give them stuff to play with. I would go and I'd put bobbers in my tank and little balls of aluminum foil until those got tarnished, so I went to bobbers, and they would play with the bobbers at night. I would raise a lot of uh, nocturnal geckos, so I'd look in my tank, and there my one uh, elephant nose was playing with all the bobbers, because I... He would just get bored otherwise, and they're a very intelligent fish, and I highly recommend them. I'm going to try and I have an idea on how to breed them, and I kind of want to get a big group of them. Chris, have you
3: ever worked with elephant noses and bred them or anything? I've never bred them, no. I've, kept, I've worked with them a few times over the years. They're not a fish that is ever really in Canada since like the early 80s, late 90s, early 80s, early 90s since uh, being prevalent at all in the trade at all uh the problem is uh, getting getting fish out of the domestic uh, republic of congo is challenging at best uh it's not an area of the world that you know uh, <laughs> has a stable economy yeah. it's always at war or a stable government. trying to get a fish exporter because the, you have to send them well you got to send me two thousand dollars and you just send it away and you'll never ever get any fish that's just the norm of dealing with a country like that so if you're a wholesaler or importer and you've got a good connection there great for you but it's, it's not a fish I see very often uh breeding it in captivity though uh there's a lot of questions that I would pose with it I think that that fish is going to need like uh it's going to need a, an environmental crash uh that's something that's going to be like a trigger like when you think South America South American fish all have triggers that breed them and we either need one trigger or many triggers, depending on how many, how far away from wild the fish is, and you know how specific its environment is. But they're all things that we can control. And with uh, West African stuff like that, we could probably do those same things. And what I mean by something that's going to crash, uh, same with like clown knife from India. I know it's not related whatsoever, but they breed like cichlid, and the way to breed a clown knife is growing up big and mature and then have an accident. Meaning your heater sticks on and cooks the tank to 95 degrees. And all of a sudden, boom, that's a trigger. Because in the wild, the water's gonna start to dry up, right? Some of these areas, these little isolated pools and stuff, where a fish like that, that has no ability to defend itself whatsoever, its eyes are so diminutive, like you pointed out, it lives in the absolute darkest, shallowest ponds. And it sifts around with its little appendage looking for food sources. I think you're gonna need a pH to crash, A temperature spike, I think you're going to need lower water, extremely soft, bringing the hardness down to nothing and probably being even pH down to five to be able to some sort of a trigger to even get that. But there's so much stuff that's not known about that fish. I often wonder if that's a pelagic species as well that needs to have a migratory, uh, you know, an area that has to migrate to, to be able to get to some spawning grounds. And uh, that's not something we can replicate. the one thing that we cannot replicate in captivity is fish that need to migrate.
0: One of the things to consider is you can't use some of the traditional um, medical treatments, say, like for ick, you can't use Methylene Blue with them. They're they're scaleless, scaleless. they're they're scaleless. So if you're going to have it, you have to have, be prepared with uh, you know, other methods like UV filters or, or such. You just know that you have to deal around with that. Now if you're going to try to breed them, you're crashing the pH, you're upping the temperature, they will get stressed out. Now you have uh, you know, cases of ick or something else, and you have limited ways to treat them as well. So it's going to be difficult to say the least. And let's talk about the most important piece. They look like Gonzo the Muppet. <laughs> they do. All right. Like it's Gonzo. frankly They're creepy great fish, though. It's yeah. creepy. The uh, well, the,
3: the, that is one fish that I can tell you with honesty that in Florida aquaculture they have been trying to work with it, but it's been kind of put on the back burner because nobody has had success. And what I mean by that is even some of the top fish breeders and the scientists have been trying to work with it. They have tools in their arsenal that hobbyists just do not. And they've adapted tools using uh, products that are from like the salmon trade and the trout trade that are hormone induction. And I've seen how it works and I've seen how it happens with fish like clown loaches, some of the different synodoxes, cats, black ghost snipes, S-A-D. all your red tail, rainbow sharks. All those fish are now bred commonly in Florida and it's all hormone induction. These things are not done on their own. They're literally hauled out, injected like like they're giving them heroin quickly with a dirty needle and thrown back into the vat. And that has been done with the, the different types of moribids like that one and your dolphin and stuff like that. And none of them have been receptive to it. And that's honestly the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head, that group of fish, that Ova Prim had no success rate whatsoever. So it's a bigger piece of the puzzle that we're still missing.
1: Now, Chris, I got a quick question on the elephant nose, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that, that Germany used to keep these elephant nose in their tank where the water supply came in and out the other side of the tank to keep uh, eyes on their water quality. And if the water quality uh, diminished, then the elephant nose would be stressed out and they could f- watch that. Have you ever heard of that? No, but they are. They're probably out of, out of all the freshwater fish that we
3: think of in captivity, they're probably in the top five or ten of the most delicate fish for dealing with water. I don't know how they, 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 they when they got imported back in the day. I remember selling them at the pet store, but you never ever heard of a customer keeping them for any real length of time. Like nobody ever came back three years later and go, oh yeah, they're doing great. That just doesn't happen with that fish.
2: See, I read in, a, in an old old book. I have some book from like the. 1920s or 30s written on papyrus yeah but um <laughs> on, on a cave wall
0: <laughs> yeah
2: in jimmy's but, um,
0: bedroom when he was a in kid. my
2: handwriting yes they were talking about how they were they thought that they were a family fish and that they needed i always was told that they need to be by themselves because they fight they but do. the The book was saying that they would keep them together in groups if you got a group together all at the same time. They would like take care of one if they were – they would like – other ones would take care of the sick one and they bring it food and stuff. Have you ever heard of that or – I've heard of something like that but
3: I think the real reality is and I think the way we keep fish now is evolving. At least in North America, it's starting to evolve to where Europe has been for a long period of time. And it's going very much in a strong focus towards natural. You, you go back in the eighties and two of you guys said you owned, you'd own stores or own stores. You would never back in the day have ever considered taking a 70 gallon tank that you filled with Cardinals and making it dark black water. You know what I mean? That, that kills carbon sales. Like you would never do that. You know, you'd take your Malaysian driftwood and try and remove as much of that tannic before you put it into the tank. But I think if you were to do Buffalo or these, um, elephant nose successfully or just even keep them, I think you'd need a very large tank. I think you'd want to have a good group of a minimum of six to eight to 10 to 12 individuals. And I would want to have so much wood and leaf litter in that tank. That be creates these visual barriers that the fish just will, you know, they're always using they're using their electronics and stuff to sense different things in their environment. That they just they, they there's too much sense. It's almost like sensory overload. There's just too much stuff in their environment that they can't fight. None
1: can yeah. that makes sense. And on a creepy yeah, that makes sense. On a creepiness notice, their their eyes glow in the dark when you shine light in there. You're, it's because really? it's Gonzo, man. Yeah,
0: it, it applied for the Muppets, got mad, and swam away. Yeah. (laughs) yeah and after he shone the light
3: on it it died the next morning (laughs) that very next morning (laughs) it usually
1: usually jumps on the floor i used to bring them in uh they were packed 15 to uh to a bag i bring in 15 from the congo and back in the back of the day i was picking up picking them up for a dollar 99 yeah they weren't expensive
3: because they were plentiful back then right Nowadays, okay. just the, the, the price of petroleum. It's it's not, you bring bringing fish from over there because you know this. you bring bringing fish from over there. It's not the price of the fish that it's cost. You got to get them here. It's the shipping. It's the yeah. shipping. <laughs> the shipping,
1: the box, the heat pack charge, the cold pack charge, the oxygen yeah. charge, the, uh, you looked at me, sideways charge. doesn't matter. It's making stuff yeah. up.
0: Well, what's the next fish on your list, Jimmy?
1: Well, next fish on my list is something I want Chris to talk about, and that <laughs> is the electric eel. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I know little or nothing about electric eel other than the fact that um, I've seen some things in National Geographic and some different things where they've done some studies and they've tested voltage and stuff. And I think I heard a story that Chris might be able to tell us a little bit more about how much voltage they can release. Enough that it hurts. So this is an oddball that we
0: don't recommend you get. I'm not going to lie to you. This is purely oh, no. no, for no, entertainment.
2: Yeah, don't get these. No
0: nice. one should have it. And the people that we see that in pet stores that get it, I understand that they're doing that to attract customers. And most of the time, they'll just keep it there and they won't sell it. It's just something yeah. for people to look at. It may kill you.
3: The aquarium in, well, I just saw, you guys might have seen this too. I just saw on one of the social media platforms that one of the big public aquariums actually is using their electric eel to power the Christmas tree <laughs> at the public aquarium. I just saw this this past week at Tennessee Aquarium or something like that. I saw it as well. Uh, you, you guys saw it?
0: I saw it as well, yes.
3: Yeah, but uh, the, the big uh, zoo in Berlin, and I know I've seen it other places, but at least that one's fresh in the mind because I was actually working on a video pertaining to dangerous animals just the other day. And the zoo in Berlin has a, about a three or four foot electric eel in a perfectly set up tank, and it has a voltage meter above the tank. And it, it, you're sitting there watching the fish and as it goes through its environment, it'll be kind of poking through the leaf litter and stuff like that. You'll hear these little volts and it, they amplify it so you can hear it. And you see these little spikes as the animal searches for food. It sends out these little pulses, almost like a sonar, trying to try and search for things. Well, my only experience in working with one was we had one years and years and years ago when I was younger working at a pet store. And to really date it, back in the day, the pet store tanks were all the old school Metal frame tanks with the slate bottoms. I don't know if this one had slate bottom. I think this was a little bit newer than that where it had a glass bottom. All the tanks in the store were under gravel filters. And uh, we were a little bit more modern in the fact that this was the advent when they started having power head pumps heaters other than the radiant heater that clipped on the back and actually submersible, the old original Hagen ones. And this, this one animal, again, like you said, it was like a store pet. It's not something we ever would sell to anybody. It was just there as an attraction. And you know, a lot of stores should need those things. They need those display tanks to get people excited. And this thing was definitely unique. It just looked like a giant turds, three foot turd, sitting in a tank. And it would constantly short out the, the heaters and the power heads. But once a week, I would work in his tank without any issue. I never, never, I knew it was electric, but I thought more along the lines of black ghost knife and elephant nose and those sort of things. I didn't think like touching both fingers onto a car battery type electric. But uh, this one here, I guess I was on the tank and I didn't like what I was doing. My arms were wet. My arms were resting against the metal frame of the tank. And I don't. I honestly, I don't know. I have no recollection uh, of whatever happened. Other than that. It pulsed, or it hit me, or something. It just did something it didn't like, and I got thrown as if I stood on a mortar. I got thrown from the tank. I, I apparently I hit my back against another row of tank, broke a couple of tanks with my back in the fish room, full of water and fish, and then fell on the ground. And they came. They brought me back in the ambulance, and they told me that it had stopped my heart. And uh, I feel I feel totally fine. I had no repercussions from it whatsoever, other than the story. It's not like I have any scars or burn did they do marks an EKG? Uh, I think I had. I think I went to that once. I was at the hospital, but they, we're talking. This is like 88, 86. I don't really remember all the details. I just remember a couple of people have told me over the years. You know, you meet an old friend from years ago, and they ask you about that. You know, <laughs> so the details are a little bit hazy. So maybe there was some permanent damage. We don't really. Know.
1: Well, well, the good news is is that you've got four kids, so we know you weren't sterile. So yeah, that's,
3: that's still working. But yeah. uh, you know, I would caution if anybody wants to keep these is uh, uh, I suggest a wooden handled net,
1: lead gloves,
0: grounding shoes. You know, <laughs> uh, what was it? A lightning rod to plug in the ground outlet of your uh, of your uh, house. You know, well, I
3: was in the uh, behind the scenes. I think it was the Belle Isle Aquarium a couple of years back because I was speaking in Detroit
0: and I'd set up this
3: thing with a curator and stuff, and we were all there back behind the scenes, and it was literally the only tank. That was marked. And all the tanks back then were all like cinder block tanks and stuff. These giant... It's an ancient aquarium. And it's the only tank in the entire building that had all these warning signs all around it. Like, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Let's have some beers and play with them. Let's go for a swim.
0: I've seen these be fed before. And it, it's super crazy. They'll put, you know, feeder goldfish or whatever they're trying to feed, which, again, I don't recommend. them just explaining the story. They'll put the fish in. And, again... You'll hear it because they'll have um, a lot of times, like zoos will have these things magnified so you can hear it, like you had explained before. And yep. you'll just see the fish and it'll get close. They won't really touch and it'll just like stop swimming, just like frozen. And then he'll just come up and slowly eat it. Stunned. Just like, well, well, oh, look, there's food and just slowly gnaw on it. N- no reaction, no nothing. Just just grab it and, and, and move on with his life, like nothing ever happened. It's the but creepiest they send out enough thing. of
3: a pulse of current to stun that animal. It's almost like, have any of you guys ever worked with uh, biology departments or anything where you've ever gone done studies and used an electroshocker in a river? Yes. No.
1: Yeah, that's fun, eh? <laughs> it is, because all the fish just come floating <laughs> into the top. It's yeah, it just stuns it, and all
3: of a sudden, everything in a 20-foot radius just comes directly at you quickly.
0: Yeah, there's, there's studies on these. These things grow many feet um, in the wild. There's, you, know, you can look this up on National Geographic, people getting hit by these entire gators Dying from these, just hitting them because the gator decided to bite the eel, thinking it's food, and it it just instantly dead and fried. There's, I think, an
3: episode of uh, like Steve O and the Wild Boys or one of those type of shows where they actually went down to Brazil and they were actually in this area. It was only like a foot of water, and it was an area the size of an average house. And there was an electric eel in there, and you could see these guys started not liking it because they'd pulse every once in a while. It's good. It's right. It's a riot.
0: <laughs> I think they even clamped their nipples with it if I remember correctly like battery cables. <laughs> and they just got they tried to shock. some, some small ones, but it was it, it's crazy. Not a fish I recommend to literally anyone. And if you do, please do your homework. What is that uh, before you told me uh before Adam of a recommendation of broken heaters? There's a rod you can get. What was that rod? A grounding probe. So if you're going to awesome do this Awesome item. Yeah, buy yourself a grounding probe. It's a, it's a metal rod that you put into your tank, and you literally do plug it into a, a grounding outlet in your home. And if you're gonna keep this fish, probably the only safe way to do it because <laughs> it'll redir- redirect all the electricity to your grounding outlet in your home. But let's just say that your house wasn't rated for however many volts this giant you know electric eel can dump out, and it just burns your lines. That's that's probably a real conversation. It's those a horrible uh, thoughts.
3: Those uh, grounding probes, I used to sell them all the time when I worked retail because if a family came in, you know, you're always looking to enhance the sale, not oversell, not sell products that aren't required. But if they're willing to buy a proper heater, an extra 20 bucks for a grounding probe made common sense to me because that, that's a life and death. That's an insurance policy. If your kids are helping you with your tank... And you go to put your hand in your tank and you don't know if that glass is cracked on that heater. It's worth it, right? In your life. You only have one of them. I've used them all the time in all my big tanks. Like my old 750 that we had at my old place and the new 12-footer we're going to build at the new place. The grounding probes go on automatically because I go in them.
0: It's not a matter of of if, it's a matter of when. Those are eventually going to burn out. And you've heard some stories from you know popular aquarists. I think you know Joey, who King of DIY. He lost some stingrays. You know, it, priceless stingrays, just from heaters burning out.
1: Yes, the old thirty-dollar heater kills a three-thousand-dollar fish. Story. I hate heaters. Twenty-dollar,
0: uh, twenty-dollar rod, and you're good to go. Yep. Well, you mentioned uh, we were talking earlier today about your
3: uh, that cooling system. I listened to one of the podcasts on the tips and tricks. About the cooling system? right? Oh, Well, I, have a, I have thought of something else and it's, it's not my idea and I'm sure it's not his idea either, but a good friend of mine in Ohio for his 1200 gallon tank and his video comes out, uh, I think the day after Christmas, uh, his 1200 gallon tank, he heats for free. And Ooh. how he heats this tank for free is he has a hot water tank that uses natural gas, the clear out valve at the bottom of his tank. He actually put an extension onto it so he can add something to that line. So he tapped into a water line, a hot water line, anywhere in his basement, because his tank's in his basement. So he did it in the ceiling before his fish room. He tapped in that line and put a hundred foot roll of PEX attached to that line. And then that roll of PEX, he left 90% of the roll of PEX in his sump for his 1200 gallon tank. And then the rest of that line goes into his utility room goes to a, a, a cast pump, which is wired to a thermostat, and then it returns from that pump directly into that pressure release valve at the bottom of your hot water tank. And when that sensor, his thermostat, calls for heat, it turns on the pump. And the pump runs hot water through 100 feet of coiled hose, like you said for your chiller, just in reverse, in his sump until the temperature of the sump water and the tank water is that whatever he needs it to be. And all it does is it basically is making his hot water tank maybe three, four, five gallons bigger. That's all it's doing. And if you live in an area with hard water or anything like that with the problems, the hot water tanks often fail prematurely because of sediment. He'll never have sediment because his tank is constantly being agitated in his hot water tank. He's yeah. had the same hot water tank as long as I've known. Him. It's been two two
1: dozen years. And PEX is a wonderful thing. If if people don't know what people you're talking about, PEX is a very heavy plastic hose that you could use they have three different types of plex Pex now and uh, one of my buddies is in construction and he just educated me last week on, on the new types of PEX that are coming out but uh, pecs very heavy hose and what's wonderful about that is if you're remodeling your house it's easy to run these through your walls and they're very flexible and you don't have the uh where you're trying to take a copper tubing and trying to um what do you call that? When you solder, solder. When you're trying to solder with a hot yeah. gun in your walls and stuff, PEX. You just take a a metal clip and you you spank on there with a special crimper, and it's relatively uh, not that expensive. And like you said, PEX is just a wonderful thing. If you have not tried using that, absolutely go out there and do your research and try to figure out how it can work for it's you. It's
3: the it's the fish keeper's dream. You can buy those little fittings they call shark bite. Literally, you just cut the hose to length and pop it into this fitting. Yep. I, I'm, I'm same as anybody else that's used it. The first times you go from using copper to go and using PEX, you're terrified thinking there's no way this is going to work, but I've never had a piece of PEX ever fail on me. Yep. And the coolest thing about his system, like the one that you guys talked about with your, in your tips and tricks with the cooler is that water's not being contaminated in any way. It's a hundred percent enclosed loop with the hot water tank. And then it's new- just a ra- it's a giant radiant heater. And yeah. it's free. It didn't, it didn't change for him to heat his giant 1200 gallon tank to 83 degrees for his South American biotope. It has not cost him more than a dollar a month on his hot water bill. Right.
1: That's insane. Yeah. And, and even the new PEX they've come out with that, that PEX has a memory and, and how you put that one on it is you, you put a, a player's sort of tool inside the PEX and it takes and opens the PEX up. You run the PEX on your, your fitting and it shrinks back. And you, and it, it has a, a memory like that. Wow! And that's cool. That is, I just watched it on uh, this old house the other day, and they were showing that. And I was talking to, to Ty about that, about because he's in construction.
0: See, I, I, need more hobbies. I'm a fish guy, IT guy. I should definitely transition that into you know fish, you know construction or or uh, woodworking.
3: Yeah, let's talk about trying to get my fish room for Alexa to run my fish room like you were talking. about. Exactly.
0: Yeah, less talk great. about that
3: sort of stuff. More actual working in your fish room. You know, it's okay to put your hands in the water. It is, yes. Yeah, I got it. There's a friend of mine that did a YouTube video in <laughs> Chicago, and Alexa does his water changes for him. And I'm like, really? What's the
0: point?
1: <laughs> I can't even get Alexa, Alexa to do the dishes.
3: Alexa, go watch my fish for me because I'm too busy.
0: Well, that, that's a problem with the automation. I even mentioned on the auto feeder on that episode. You know, yep, don't yep. use the auto feeder every day. You need to interact with your fish, know what's going on. So. Automation yeah, can only go point. so far. But Chris, you know it's been fantastic. We appreciate the story, and we're glad to see that you made it through the heart attack of the, of the electric eel. I
3: didn't have a heart attack. Didn't have a heart attack. It
0: stopped. It, it just stopped.
3: stopped. Yeah, that's what they tell me. Whether it's true or not, I don't really know. I'm not dead.
0: You heartthrob you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you have started. not dead
3: and
1: not sterile. <laughs>
0: there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you built a reputation. You you go to these expos. You're a public speaker. You're quite knowledgeable, and now you've started a YouTube channel recently. Tell us a little bit about that before we uh, we disconnect.
3: Well, I just—it was basically by a pressure of many people kept badgering me over the years to get started doing it. Joey was one of them, actually, at the very beginning. He didn't pressure me, but I saw the power of it. Uh, I was the the keynote banquet speaker at the Big Fish Deal in Washington D.C. or Maryland. Uh, I don't know which number it was, and it was the first time Joey had ever spoken before outside of YouTube, and. I remember meeting him, and we knew we were both Canadians. We chatted. I didn't know anything about YouTube. Honestly, don't think I've ever even watched a YouTube video until that point. We chatted for a little bit, and that day we went to the convention. The first night, Jeff Cardwell did a talk. He does what I call National Geographic talks. He's an amazing speaker. He collects all over the world, but his talks are bird river dog here's the truck we took here's the dirt road here's where we stayed here's the food we ate that sort of stuff wonderful wonderful presentations he's known worldwide for them and then dave schumacher from Dave's fish did a talk and then joey did his first talk and it was like an inspirational talk and it was legend and then the same then saturday the same format the same three guys and then i followed it and jimmy or joey brought to that convention just by him being there Probably at least an additional third of the amount of people that were there were there to see him. And when I came on after all those talks that night to close the kind of convention down before their big auction, there was probably 750 people waiting. It was without a doubt the biggest convention I'd ever done. And that was at my infancy when I first really kind of came back doing it.
0: But crazy. So now we're going to finally get uh, all this wealth of knowledge on, on YouTube. you have already got a lot of different content, a lot of the insider secrets, like the, even the videos of you know, how the conventions go. And you know, Adam was watching some, uh, some other more uh, humorous uh, content. So certainly check it out. What is the uh, name of the, the YouTube channel?
3: It's, uh, it's Chris the Mad Aquarist. I'm sure if you just type in the Mad Aquarist, but it's Chris the Mad Aquarist Bigs. you'll find it. It's got a, an ugly black and white picture of my mug. But uh, I won't deviate from what my original mandate was. It's it's me. It's it's me. In, in all honesty, it's it's who I am. Uh, I'm going to showcase things that fascinate me. Uh, my major background for me primarily is in uh, is in botanical sciences or plant sciences. And ichthyology was the secondary. So fish has always been an interest, but plants was what I used. I started going towards to find finish my master's. Uh, so I want to try and showcase fish, reptiles, plants, but things with a bit of a twist. I don't think anybody out there wants to see a 30 minute video on how sexy i think an oak tree is it's not something it's easy to do a video of but the tree of death poison ivy or some really volatile plant from madagascar or mimosas the little sensitive plants pitcher plants all these things are carnivorous those things i can tell a story to, and then same with fish species that have a unique little twist or a story behind them and then there's sections called the Aquatic Masters where I interview world-class aquarists all over the world that bring something different to the table. And then there's different series called Rants, which are Into the Mind of Madness, The Mind of Mad Aquarist. It's just going to be whatever I want it to be, and hopefully the people are enjoying it.
0: Well, don't miss it. Go to his channel, subscribe, and you'll see him on other uh, places. He's guest starred with Rachel O'Leary, the Ohio Fish Rescue. Certainly, uh, certainly check him out. Give him some love and... Uh, yeah, don't forget to hit the like button afterwards because that's that's only decent. That's like you're leaving your tip without having to do money. So, <laughs> Just give me the tip. Just give him the tip. Just, Just the tip. <laughs> well, guys, thanks again for listening. I hope you go and take some of these names and details and research. Remember, they're oddballs for a reason. But if you can accommodate their special needs, you can find a real treasure to show off to your friends that no one's ever seen before. And uh, go to our website, AquariumGuysPodcast.com. Join us on Facebook, Discord. We're going to get Twitter back uh, going again. Shame on you, Jimmy. We'll, uh, we'll answer your questions, and we appreciate the love. And don't forget to subscribe to this so it goes directly to your phone so you don't have to see uh,
1: see when it goes. Well, if they do that, then I don't have to tweet out anymore. No, no. No, you have to tweet. We're <laughs> going to get back on the tweet train, buddy. I, I'm not very good at tweeting. I'm not very good with the uh, the electronics. and Unless it's a uh, jukebox at a beer hall, I'm not very good at
2: electronics. It's not good at all.
0: I, I need to see this jukebox. But uh, thanks again, guys, for listening. Thank you, Chris. And we'll see you on the next one.
2: Thanks, guys, for listening to this podcast. Please visit us at aquariumguyspodcast.com and listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. We're practically everywhere. We're on Google. I mean, just go to your
0: favorite place, Pocket Casts. Subscribe to make sure it gets push notifications directly to your phone. Otherwise, Jim will be crying in his sleep. Can, can I listen to it in the in my treehouse? In your treehouse, in your fish room, even alone at work. What about my man cave? Especially your man cave. Yeah. Only if Adam's there. No. With feeder guppies. No.
1: No. They're endless You magic <laughs> loving fuck <laughs> sucking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs> Later.